Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 334 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Emma. Emma lives in Norwich in the UK, and she is a high school English teacher. And I think I said that right. Did I say it right, you Emma? Did. It's all good. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those words. It's not spelled how you say it. So I practiced it beforehand. But anyway, it's so nice to meet you here today, Emma. And you know, I love talking to teachers. I love talking to everybody, but I just feel a special connection to teachers everywhere. Well, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you today, Jen. Well, you know, I like to start by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to do what everybody does and go really far back. That I think I'm 42 now. I think I've probably been on a diet since I was on and off since I was 11. I was always a really big kid, not 
huge but solid we would say over here always really tall for my age I'm five foot eight now and I've been that height since I was probably 12 years old and I think from about 11 I was being on a diet it can be hard for girls who mature early it sounds like you matured early and to be that kid that kind of you stand out from everybody and I think you know like many of your previous guests I've tried everything well, uh, well we like hearing the list because we all are like yep yep okay Atkins Weight Watchers Slimming World, which I don't think you have in the US, but it's a very similar to Weight Watchers. Slimming World, yeah, that's a very, very UK thing, but I've heard a lot of people talking about it over the years. Calorie Counting, which of course is probably the one that I went back to most often. Cabbage Soup Diet. Oh, I don't know if you've ever done that one. <laughs> Horrific. Oh, that's the worst. I did do that. It was not good. Horrific. 5-2, which is kind of what led me to you. So I know you've talked about this on your podcast before, this idea of getting to that point where you just think, do you know what? I'm meant to be this size. I'm done. I'm just meant to be this size and stop torturing myself. And I think for years, you know, you know when you have the slim clothes in the bottom of your wardrobe or in a chest of drawers, you know, I won't chuck those away because one way a day I will be that size again. And then I got to a point where I ch- I'm like, no, just buy nice clothes for now. Don't torture yourself. Be nice to yourself. And I think... There was a couple of things. So I started fast. I went on a diet, the last diet, in May 2019. And like I do with all diets, I lost, I'm going to have to keep converting from, you know, we use stones and pounds in the UK. So I lost, you know, I always lose about 14 pounds and then I get bored or I want quick results or I'm just, you know, when I find myself weighing mushrooms and tomatoes, I find that the most depressing thing. Like, why well, I'm weighing tomatoes? Come on. So the reason, a couple of things that kind of kick-started me for this to be the last diet. First of all, I was uh, scheduled to go on a school trip to Iceland. And within that trip, we were going to take a trip to the Blue Lagoon, which would involve me getting into a swimsuit in front of students. So that was a big kick up the bum. And the other thing I was going, I'd planned for summer 2020, which as you can imagine didn't happen, I was meant to be going to see my best friend in Australia, having not seen her for several years. And I just kept thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if I get off the plane and I'm lots lighter? And what's really amazing is actually, you've just given me the date that this podcast is coming out. And on the 15th of August, I will be in Australia with my best friend. Oh, that makes me so happy. I just got the goosebumps. That's just perfect. And I have seen her. I have seen her since post, sort of post weight. Oh, no, actually, I saw her about halfway through. Well, she's going to be really excited to see. It's good to see the old friends that know you. And they're like, wow. Amazing. It's just such a boost, such a lift. So as always, May 2019, I lost my 14 pounds and then I started bored. Okay, I think I was calorie counting. Bored, bored, bored. Maybe I'll go back to 5-2. You know, I've done it before. I'll go back to 5-2. Started doing some research and that's where I then came across intermittent fasting. And so I think this was around the July, August of 2019. And I haven't looked back, Jim. I haven't looked back. You know, 5-2 came out of the UK. Oh, yes, it was Michael Mosley. Michael Mosley, exactly. And he heard about Chris Veraday's research on alternate daily fasting. And I guess he was, you know, he liked to do a lot of of documentaries about health topics. And he's a doctor. And so he's like, well, let me just adapt this to myself. And instead of every other day, what if I just do two days a week of 500 calories? Did he actually say the words fasting or did you just call them 500 calorie days? I think it'd be 500 calorie days. Yeah, I don't know that it was really sold as, you know, that you were fast. And there were loads of recipe, I don't know if it's the same over there, loads of recipe books for 500 calorie dinners and those, yeah, it was a, it was a real hit. Probably, I don't know, 
eight, nine years ago, maybe? It was. It was. Like, really, like, 2012 is when I dabbled in it a little bit. And doing the 500-calorie days were so miserable for me because, of course, I was not fasting clean, and I was trying to spread them all out through the day. Who was that author that wrote the book? Kate something? There was a book that she wrote. He didn't have a book. He had... At first, he just had the documentary, and then people started doing it, and then this Kate somebody wrote a book, and then he wrote a book, and then finally Chris Verity wrote a book. He's got loads of books now. <laughs> he jumps on that <laughs> But I will say it was hard, and I didn't lose weight with two 500-calorie days a week because the whole thing was— McDonald's or nothing, and on the five days, I would go crazy. Eat all the food. <laughs> all the food. I was like, well, you just have two days of 500 calories. The other days, eat whatever you want. Game on. Absolutely. And like, I was really miserable yesterday. So to make myself feel better today. I'm going to drive through and have a chicken biscuit because that's the way that it was. It was really, really hard. But you found it searching for 5-2 again, and it led you to intermittent fasting. And as I say, I haven't looked back. Do you want to know my numbers? Do you want to know the numbers? I would love to know your numbers. Initially, so between August... 2019 and March 2020, I lost, hang on, I'm going to have to do the calculations because it's in stone here, uh, 56 pounds. So that was in the first seven months. That's amazing. 56 pounds. Hang on. There's more. And then the first lockdown hit. And during that kind of first lockdown, I just, nothing happened. I was still fasting. I was still exercising, but I think it's just that stress, wasn't it? Being, you know, being stuck in the house. So actually the first, however many months, that first I keep saying four stone. It was four stone, 56 pounds. I was dirty fasting at that point. So, you know, milk in the tea, um, milk in the coffee. I discovered these sugar-free jellies. And that's what used to get me. So I was, I think a lot of my weight gain was due to evening eating. Are jellies the same as jello, what we call yes, jello? jello? Yes, Okay. Because what you call okay. jelly, we call jam. So like little pots of jello, like 10 calorie jellos. So I used to be an evening eater. I'd put my daughter to bed. I'd be doing my schoolwork. And then at nine, 10 o'clock, I'd be like, oh, now it's my time to watch rubbish on TV and eat whatever chocolatey things are in the cupboard. So my kind of, those first sort of few months, I found these 10 calorie jellos and that would be my nine o'clock in the evening treat. So managed to lose 56 pounds, brilliant. Then obviously three months of nothing through that first lockdown. And at that point, I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm still fasting. I'm still exercising. I need to go for it. So at that point, I started clean fasting. So June 2020, started clean fasting. I then lost, hang on, I've written this all down. In the next six months, I lost another 42 pounds. So that was by Christmas. We then, of course, had another lockdown. (laughs) So January to March, another lockdown where I just plateaued massively again. And then it took me another 10 months to lose the last stone, the last 14 pounds. So you have lost altogether over 100 pounds. Yeah, 100. So eight stone, we would call, which has felt very round, nice and round for English measurements. But in your money, 112 pounds. Oh, my gosh. I've given you the... And you do not look like, you know, I wish everybody could see you, but obviously the podcast or audio, but... You do not look like someone who lost 112 pounds. You look like you've always been, you well. <laughs> you can't see the skin on my tummy. <laughs> Thank goodness for clothes. <laughs> but, you know, usually when we see someone, when we think about traditional dieting, when people have lost a lot of weight, people look haggard and drawn and not well. But you look healthy and, like, you've always been that way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, 
as you know, the, the skin situation <laughs> is tricky. And that's, I think, just with, you know, the so I've now, I hit targets, so that was November 2021. So I've been there a year and a half now. And it's the case of, and obviously, I will never not fast. I'm not eating any differently to I was when I was losing the weight. My body has just got to this point now. And my body's just said, I'm done. Yeah, your body has just found a place where it's happy. Homeostasis, as we call it in the science world. It's the world's longest plateau. I read the Jason Fung book. So again, that idea of your body finds it. I can't remember what, does he call it a setting point, Jason Fung? The set point is where your body settles, right? Your body settles there. And you know, I'm at my body's set point. And for me to, if I decided I wanted to be lower, I'd have to work really hard at it. Yeah, I'd have to give up carbs. I'd have to give up bread. And I have before, sort of after holidays and things, I might be like, Do you know, what? I'm just going to give up bread for a few weeks, just to get back to my comfy zone. If I've been on an all inclusive holiday, or it's been Christmas, for example, I did a whole 30 for the whole of January this year to get rid of my Christmas extra five pounds, whatever it was. So as you say, but to maintain that, no, I enjoy food. I, I've worked too hard to still be killing myself to get down to that really low weight. And, you know, food quality does matter. For me, I just have to go, like, if I my honesty pants start to get a little tight, I'm like, all right, what's it been? And it's usually, for me, I've been a little looser with the butter, a little looser, you know, having a little more meat than usual. For me, that's what makes me get a little, my honesty pants get a little tight. But I'm not willing to live my life, you know, of deprivation and giving up. No, we've done that. We've done the really hard work. And this diet is all about enjoying food. It's true. I love that you mentioned that because some people get the mistaken idea that once we get to our goal weight, it just we're there forever and we never have to think about it again. But we do have to think about it. And the key is that we've got the tools and that I'm like, I don't have to count anything. I don't have to give up food groups. I don't have to eat food that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wonder, you're quite a few head, years ahead of me here, Jim, so you might have some advice. Does the fear of gaining weight ever go? That's a great question. I hit my initial goal in the spring of 2015. So I am nine years from when I began. You know, nine years ago, I was actually nine years ago, exactly right now was that summer of keto when I lost nothing. And then it was fall. It was like, as we were getting back to school, I was like, I'm not, I don't have time for this and I'm not losing weight and I hate it. So it was as we were going back to school that fall that I reintroduced carbs and started intermittent fasting and finally started losing weight. But I'm now at the point where I know I have the tools in my toolbox. Just like you said, in January, you did a round of Whole30. I mean, it's eating real food. It's delicious food. Yeah, just to push, my, just to push myself, really, and just get more veggies in, build better habits. And yeah, just to, to see how it got on. So am I afraid? No. And, you know, I did that experiment from October like for 60 days. I did the whole food plant-based experiment. And like I said, I wasn't trying to lose weight. That was not my goal. However, I noticed everything got really loose while I was doing that. So whole food plant-based, I wasn't restricting. And I might have even slightly widened my window because when you're eating whole food plant-based, it fills you up, so I needed a slightly longer window, perhaps. I don't know. It's hard to explain. But I could tell everything got really loose. All my clothes did. And um, I felt amazing the whole time. So that's a tool in my toolbox. I didn't feel deprived. 
I just really, you can't go out to eat as much, right? It's just so much planning. I couldn't have done it beyond the January. And you know, January is quite a miserable month anyway, in that you're not going out very much. But it's the planning and it's the thing. You can't just grab a quick sandwich or grab a snack or have an, have an easy tea where you just throw things in the oven. You have to really think about a menu plan and think about everything. Thanksgiving, I brought my own food. And because I was like, well, look, I'm stubborn. And, and but this is the first time I ever changed what I was eating without the goal being I need to lose weight. So I just wanted to really see how I felt. I was getting ready to do the Zoe testing again. And I wanted to really focus on my gut. And I'm like, I just want to see what this feels like. Because I'd never, ever changed my eating without the goal of losing weight, just to see how I felt. And so it was freeing and and I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it and how much I loved it. But it does get tiring to take your own food. But I found some really great cookbooks. Dr. B, his, his fiber-fueled cookbook is really good. There's a book called Plant You, fabulous recipes in that one. Carly something. Why do all the plant-based people have really hard to say last names? But just to challenge you, Jen. Just to challenge you. But everyone liked what I took for Thanksgiving, and I didn't feel deprived at all. Or you, my family, my dad's. No, I didn't feel deprived, and people liked what I brought. I just didn't eat the turkey. I didn't have the you know whatever. I brought my own dessert. It just took a lot of work, and eating out takes a lot of work. So, and the meal delivery kits. You know, yes, they have options that are whole food, plant-based, but not very many. So. <laughs> that being said, a long way around of answering your question, I am not worried about gaining weight. I've been through menopause now. I think if I can make it to where I am right now, I'm never going to gain the weight again. But I do have the tools in my toolbox if it started happening. Yeah, and I guess I'm getting there because as I say, sort of post-holidays, post-Christmas, I do think to myself, okay, if you put on five pounds in a week, it doesn't matter because you know exactly how to get back to it. And actually, I don't know about you, but when I get back from that, holiday abroad or get over Christmas, I'm ready to be kind, like to go back to it. I don't want to eat any more food. There's a real power there as well, isn't there? That That's power and control over your own body. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on 
on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Well, like you said, in January, you did a round of Whole30, and it was right after all of that festive food. You know, we're having all that holiday food, and it's heavy, heavy food, and you start to feel like puffy and inflamed, and I actually didn't feel that way because I did Whole Food Plant-Based all the way through December 26th, and I'm like, forget it. So I I started January feeling amazing. (laughs) You're glowing. Everybody else is sluggish. Yeah, I was not the least bit sluggish at all, but I certainly, you know, this is my ninth holiday season as an intermittent faster, and I certainly remember the seasons past when I did feel more sluggish. And, you know, when you went and did Whole30, that is just pure, real, non-inflammatory food. And you just felt so good. And, you know, it gets to the point where we want to feel good. I'd rather feel good than feel draggy. You're getting there. So 18 months in and you've you've already figured out, you know, oh, getting a little tight. Got to tighten myself up just a little bit. Definitely. And as you say, it's having the tools. Like I'm not scared to lose weight. I'm not scared. And I think the other thing really is I'm not scared to be hungry. And that's something like, why are we all, is it a cultural thing? Are we scared as a nation? Are we scared as people? Like that fear of being hungry. Like, I better have something to eat now because I'll be hungry later on. And actually, it doesn't, it's okay to be hungry. It's, that's fine. Just go to bed a bit earlier. <laughs> well, I think it's the snack food industry, right? I mean, we look back. It's told us, hasn't it? We need three snacks a day. Well, if you go back even before my time, before your time, you know, I think back to my grandparents' time. And they had like, you know, like people were trying to sell them soft drinks and snacks. And what was it? Dr. Pepper, you're supposed to have what at 10 and two or something. That was like the ad, but like hands of the clock or something. So they've trained us to think that we need a little pick me up, a little snack, like Snickers. They used to sell that maybe in the 70s. Kit Kats. It's like, have a break, have a Kit Kats. Yes. And so we get that. And, you know, now with kids, we're pushing snacks on them constantly. It wasn't like that when we were little. Oh, you just have snacks in your handbag all the time. My mother did not carry around a snack for me when I was little all the time. If you're hungry, you wait till your dinner. (laughs) Although I do remember one time, I don't know, I was probably four and I was supposed to eat squash and I didn't want to eat it. So she carried that squash around. She's like, when you're hungry, you're going to eat this squash. Oh my God. That's hardcore parenting. (laughs) I didn't eat it. So that was the last time she And I've never eaten squash since. I love squash now. But at the time, I remember I was like burned in my head. Like I was probably four. And she's like, you're going to eat this later when you're hungry. I'm like, I bet I won't. (laughs) (laughs) The stubbornness of a four-year-old. It's true. But that's the only time I remember her carrying around a snack that I was going to eat later. But we didn't have that. And so our kids are growing up thinking that they need to have a snack. Like at your school, I mean, your, your high school, I know in an elementary school, we had, first we had snack time that was a set time. And then it pretty much got just to be, just have it whenever you want it. What do y'all do at, at your school? So we have just sort of break times and lunch time. So you can recess. So I'll have a mid-morning break time and then lunch time, And then we finish at three. But it's funny you say that about children. So I took a trip, a school trip last week with year eight. So our 12 to 13 year olds to the Globe in London, the Globe Theatre, Shakespeare's Theatre. And I cannot believe what 13-year-old boys in particular can put away food-wise. We 
We're in the bus for the coach for an hour and a half. We stopped off at a service station. Kids eating KFC, buckets of KFC at 11 o'clock in the morning. We get to London. We have a picnic, you know, sort of our lunch on the banks of the Thames. All beautiful. Kids are eating all their food. About to go into the Globe Theatre. No, so any questions before we go in? And the kid's like, can we eat in there? What do you mean, can you eat? All you've done is eat. I was like, you've got an hour and then an interval and then another hour and then we'll be done. Oh, so we can eat in the interval. Yeah, you can eat. Oh, my goodness. But then it was the interval. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what are we doing to our children that we're telling them they can't go a whole hour without eating snacks? And, of course, there have been all sweets and treats and Pringles and all those sorts of things on the buses. Well. Yeah, they haven't stopped eating all morning. And then it's the interval. And I was stood by the gate just to check the kids are okay and not sneaking up into London. And you suddenly notice this massive queue of adults queuing for ice cream, queuing for alcoholic drink, you know, cans of Prosecco, queuing for food. And you're like, well, if the adults can't go an hour without eating, that's why these kids are like, they, they think they can't go an hour without eating. And that is just what our society has become, isn't it? In fact, we can't possibly go an hour <laughs> Especially if there's an ice cream stand there. I used to be like that, though. Of course. Like, there's an opportunity to eat. There's an opportunity to eat treats at two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, then. (laughs) I also think it really matters what you describe that they were eating, because all of that food is not nourishing them. The Pringles, the KFC, the ice cream, all that does is, the words empty calories, now that I'm an intermittent faster and I understand how nourishing our bodies work and how our bodies don't count calories, they count nutrients, the idea of empty calories makes a lot more sense now because, and it's, it's also why calories in, calories out is so flawed because our body, I mean, you could put in, I could probably put in a lot of calories and still be starving at the end of the day. Either the word that I, I heard, the phrase is overfed and undernourished. And obesity is very much, I think, related to being overfed and undernourished. So you can be malnourished and carrying around, you know, 100 extra pounds on your body and you're still starving for nutrients. So not any of those foods gave them what they needed. And so, of course, they're still snacky. They just put it away. <laughs> it's crazy. I remember this, the case study, I think it's in the Jason Fung book that really stuck with me. And it was, I can't remember who, the, I don't think it was Jason himself. I think it was somebody he did a case study on who had eaten 3,000 calories for, I think, maybe three weeks of absolute trash and had put on several pounds. And then he did three weeks of proper whole foods, nutrient dense calories. And he stayed, again, 3,000 calories. And he stayed the same. I don't know if you recall that study. And it's, that's really stuck with me in terms of, I know you call it window worthy, but that just quality, decent food. And, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be one of those people that's like, oh, food is just fuel. I'm not, you know, I, I just eat to survive. Like, no, I still love food. I don't think we're meant to just eat to survive. Well, look at animals. If you think about, animal, like, look at how animals treat food. We treat animals and if we look at sort of animal training and things like that they're rewarded with food in zoos and those kinds of places i think you know it's it's something enjoyable but yes a healthy relationship with food i think is what we're all aiming for i think so too but just the whole idea that food is only fuel is wrong i envy those people (laughs) eating well i don't because chad is very much like that does he enjoy food yes but not the same way i do right (laughs) But I think if it wasn't supposed to be pleasurable, it wouldn't be pleasurable. You know, we seek out pleasurable behaviors. The problem is, I think the modern food landscape, you know, the not food that that we call food, it lights up the pleasure centers 
in an unnatural way, like the way like illegal drugs do, you know, like our brain is not supposed to be lit up like that. Yeah, it's the same hormone and chemical, isn't it? Same chemical being released in your in your brain. So you you mentioned you have you've got kids. How many kids do you have? You have a daughter. How old is Just she? Just turned thirteen. So that's a fun age. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, I've only heard about parenting daughters, but I will say, thirteen-year-old <laughs> boys are also a handful. <laughs> yeah, no, she's really fun. She's a really good girl, and you know, when I think about myself as a teenager, and I, I have a sister who's two years younger than me, we talk about this quite a lot. It's just making sure that you don't pass on. And you have to be so careful. And also, I know this from working at uh, high school for nearly 20 years, just being so careful how you talk about food and body image. And thankfully, my daughter is really sporty. She does football and basketball. And in the past, she's done gymnastics and, you know, she's always on the go. Football, uh, what you would call soccer. She's absolutely obsessed with soccer. And so... I've always tried to work, you know, if she's eaten a few too many sweets or she's already had a treat that day, it's I try and focus on sugar and teeth. And, you know, you don't want to, you know, don't have too much sugar. It's not good for your teeth or you need to make sure you eat loads of veggies because that's what's going to help you with your, you know, you've got football later on or you've got basketball later on. Try and make good choices because that's what's going to give your body energy. And you just have to be so careful because I think certainly growing up in the 90s, the image and that idea, like, don't eat that because you'll get fat. I love the way you're being mindful of that. And you're you're sending her the message of healthy food, but not just don't, don't get fat, right? That's not what we want to ever have them think because then it becomes that baggage that they carry with them. So. Absolutely. And I've done a bit of reading. It's that idea that you should never even put your child on a diet, which, you know, I was. But it's just encourage more sport, encourage more exercise, getting out of the house. And, you know, I noticed after which lockdown was it? Probably the second lockdown. So that second lockdown, that January to March one where we were indoors a lot. And she would have been 10, turning 11. And I noticed she puts a bit of weight on as that age and I just thought of course she has she's been stuck in the house for two months let's make sure that we just up our ex and you know of course at that age as well they go a little bit wider and then they get a little bit taller and it's a case of right let's just let's just get outside on more walks let's you know book some badminton let's see what we clubs I can sign her up to as we move out of lockdown and you know she's absolutely fine she's got a super healthy body and that's I just want her to keep it because I wasn't very sporty when I was a kid and I just want her to have a sport and I talk to my PE teacher friends about this my uh, phys ed teachers a lot about this I just want her to have a sport that she carries on all the way through high school you know through her teenages a sport that she loves a sport that keeps her moving a sport that keeps her busy in the evening so she's not on the streets and that's just a really important part of parenting to me. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I can tell you're doing a great job with that. Did she notice you losing the weight? Did y'all talk about that at all? No, because I think, you know, she lives with me and it's like every day. And it wasn't until, I'm trying to think when, it was when other people started noticing. She'd hear lots of people, especially because we were in lockdown. So before we went into the first lockdown, I'd lost the 56 pounds. So people were obviously commenting then. But then, of course, several months later, when we're back out in the open and back at work and seeing people for the first time in a long time, obviously that's when you get a lot of, shocked comments and so it was only then she'd be hearing those and going oh oh have you lost lots of weight mom and I mean I've had people sort of post the full weight loss I've had people full on not recognize me which is just amazing (laughs) my sister's best friend full I was with my sister and my daughter and I think my nephew was there as well so she would have been expecting to see me because my daughter was there and she was chatting away to my daughter and then she sort of peered her head around and she was like oh oh I don't 
no, you, hello, I'm Shelley. And I went, no, it's it's Emma. It's Emma. And she's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't <laughs> recognise you. And one of my daughter's club leaders, again, sort of going back to that particular club post-lockdown, she could see her standing there going, not sure which parent to send my daughter's Izzy. She wasn't sure which parent to send Izzy to. <laughs> see her going, where's, where's Izzy's mum gone? Where's Izzy's mum gone? I love it. Yeah, I had kids that were like that. A student came back that I taught, and he had a, a younger brother that was at our elementary school, but he had gone on, he was probably in eighth grade at that point. And I had him you know, in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, because I had the same kids every year. He's one of my gifted boys. But I was in the office of the school, and I was talking. So I think he recognized my voice. But he looked at me, because I've been 80 pounds bigger the last time when I taught him. He looked at me, and he said, are you Dr. Stevens? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, for, for a kid, he he didn't even recognise, but he knew my voice. Because I thought it was quite funny that no kids at school commented on it. That's a funny conversation to have with your teacher. Elementary school children are a little bit more bold in that way. But no, no kids did. But a couple of things came out. I remember once, I'm a vegan, and I remember once mentioning to a, a year 11, so the 15, 16-year-old classes, that, oh, I, you know, I went vegan however long ago. And one of the students went, oh, is that when, is that why, is that? And you could see her like, how do I word this? And I went, oh, are you asking if that's why I lost the weight? And she's like, yes, is that why you lost the weight? And I went, actually, no, I went vegan. Actually, unlike most people who go vegan, I went vegan and then put weight on because I spent a year of trying all the amazing, like every time I saw something new and vegan, I'd be like, oh, I better try that chocolate bar. I better try <laughs> So I actually put weight on being a vegan. I mean, you know, Girl Scout cookies, Thin Mints are vegan. So vegan does not always equal health. Dangerous Biscoff is vegan. Yeah, so that was quite funny. And then, well, then you really need to try those cookbooks that I said. Get the fiber fueled cookbook, and that plant you is so good. It's got, she's great. You can follow her on Instagram, and I'm not on Instagram much. I don't know if you're on Instagram ever. I'm not one of the people that like, now my Instagram is mostly ads. I don't even know, but sometimes I'll look at it. But she does some cool stuff with, like she, she calls it being scrappy, I think. Like she uses all the bits of it. That's good. That's the sort of recipes I need at the end of the week when you're like, what do I make out of half a pepper and three mushrooms? Exactly. But but I love that your students, they, they weren't really sure what I was, was really happening. Sure. And there was another time, I think, I can't remember. Oh, a student. Oh, don't you love the honesty of kids? The kid went, miss, miss, I heard, this about a year ago, miss, I heard you were pregnant. And I went, um... No. Oh, well, I said, should I be paranoid? He's like, no, no, somebody told me. I was like, okay. And I sort of dwelt on it. And of course, the whole class were like, <gasps> and then so then I gave him a little lecture. I'm like, first of all, don't ever ask a woman if she's pregnant unless you absolutely 100% know for sure. And I said, and actually, what I'm really upset about, and this lad, I'd only met him that year. He was in year 11, so 15, 16. I hadn't met him before and I went actually what I'm really offensive is I spent the last two years losing a massive amount of weight and you've just asked me if I'm pregnant and the kids next to him went yeah so and so said you'd lost stacks of weight miss <laughs> and I was like oh, okay so they are talking about it but nobody was brave enough to say to me ah oh, miss you look a bit different <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did have some fifth grade girls. They were in my room working on a project and this they felt brave enough. This is when I had lost the first 75 pounds and they felt brave enough to ask me. We had a good relationship. They were working on a special project and one of them said, did you lose some weight? And I'm like, yes, I lo lost about 75 pounds. And one of the little girls said, 
I weigh 75 pounds. So I picked her up. I said, can I pick you up? And I picked her up and tried to carry her around. And it was hard. I'm like, I cannot believe I lost you. Yes, I can remember getting to about that stage and working out. I think we must have weighed my daughter for something or other. And I was like, actually, that's really similar to where I got to. And lift, or I think I got her on my back. And you just think, I don't know if you've ever watched The Biggest Loser. I know it's American version, British version. And they quite often do a... a task towards the end of big it's one of those guilty pleasures of mine watching biggest loser and one of the tasks that they do right at the end is they put on a, ru- a big rucksack a big backpack with the weight that they and they put it on sort of like bit by bit and by the end there and i and that's kind of when i put my daughter on my back i was like i used to walk around like this no wonder my ankles hurt no wonder i was tired all the time like i'm carrying around 112 pounds that i don't need what must, what must it do to your body and your bones and your skeleton? Your joints, all of it, it your knees. I actually, it, it was very eye-opening. And I used to watch The Biggest Loser back in the day. I haven't watched it for years and years because it also made me mad. Terrible advice. Well, exactly. And after I read The Biggest Loser study, after they looked into that, that's when I really was like, well, The Biggest Loser study, I have it in the introduction of Fast Feast Repeat, but they talk about how they followed the people who had been on The Biggest Loser for years and their metabolic rates had slowed to the point that they were actually like, I don't know, something like 500 calories below what you would expect for someone their size. So like if you calculated just based on someone's size, what their metabolic rate should be, their metabolic rate was 500 calories a day lower than that because of all the restriction. And the ones who had done the best job maintaining had the lowest metabolic rates versus the ones who had not done a good job maintaining. So basically what that taught me is, or what that study showed us is our metabolisms really will slow if we, you know, do prolonged restriction. And then, you know, you gain it all back, your metabolism goes back up. It's not like you've ruined it forever. Do you have lighter life over in the States? I think it might be an American thing. Lighter life. It's like a, I think it's just a really very, very low calorie diet. I think it's sort of, 800 calories a day but it's they sell the soup and they sell the shake and they sell the horrible little ready meals and I know quite and it was a probably a bit of a trend here about maybe seven eight years ago and I know a few people who did it lost weight super quickly and then it just stuck and it but it's really expensive something like 50 pounds a week I don't, I don't know what the conversion rate for dollars is at the moment but say that 40 50 pounds a week and obviously you can't maintain it. You can't spend that sort of money the whole time. And so as soon as it stopped, went straight back on again. Yeah, because your metabolic rate is slower. And, you know, fasting helps with that. And especially, you know, for someone who thinks their metabolism might have been slowed due to lots of dieting, alternate daily fasting really helps with that. Because you, know, you have the down day where you have, you know, whether you're doing the full fast for 36 hours or whether you're doing the 500 calorie version which I do not recommend doing like Michael Mosley. <laughs> you know, they'll spread it out. Have it in a tiny little eating window, your 500 calorie meal. But then the next day is an up day. So the down day is where you, you know, burn fat. And the up day is where you boost your metabolic rate. Both of them have like, have a purpose. Yeah, I tried that a little bit. So because that last that last 14 pounds took, took so long <laughs> to come off, I did try a few different things. I tried to do the mealless Mondays did that for about six, seven weeks, and it didn't, that didn't do anything. So I was like, well, why am I making myself miserable for nothing? And I think like most people, I started on the 16, eight, 
and just increased, increased, increased. I would currently do, so during the week I do, Monday to, I work full time, so Monday to Friday I do 22 hours. And so I just have a two hour eating window between sort of five and seven. So I'll get home from work, grab some sort of snacks and oat cakes and hummus, something, you know, just something that I can quickly grab while I'm making dinner. I'll have dinner and that's it. I'll close my window at half six, seven. None of that evening eating, which I think definitely was a real danger. I think that definitely was a lot to do with my weight gain. And then weekends, I'll have lunch and I'll have dinner. So I'll do sort of like 18 hour windows. Or not eating, fasting windows, not eating, 18 hour fasting windows. So about an 18 six. Yeah, 18 six at the weekends because I want to enjoy lunch and I want to do baking with my daughter or go out for, you know, tea and cake somewhere. So, and it just, you know, when I first started skipping lunch at work, feel a bit resentful you're sitting around the lunch table and everyone's eating their nice pasta salads and you know their sandwiches and their bagels and then after a while you just I don't even notice it now I don't my body doesn't get hungry it's bizarre though I think I'm like you know how you sort of almost a dog knows when it's dinner time (laughs) bizarrely Uh, during the week I'm not even hungry at lunchtime I'll sometimes make a coffee or just keep on drinking my tea that I drink all day not hungry at all weekends gets to half past 12 and I'm like what time is it what time can I have lunch it's like my body just knows that at weekends I eat lunch it's emotional right you know I can remember we were at a restaurant we were going to eat at a restaurant and I was fasting and I was like I'll just wait till we get there and I'll eat dinner and I you know I don't want to I want to enjoy my meal so I really get to the restaurant and I had already queued up in my mind that I'm getting ready to eat I mean, I was perfectly fine, but then there was like a wait and I had to wait. And so I started getting like edgy. I'm like, I wanted to eat. I wanted to eat. But I mean, I was like, what is it? What am I doing? This is ridiculous. I'm fine. But because I had mentally prepared to eat, I was edgy about the waiting. And I'm like, okay, Jen, you're not going to die. You're going to be okay. But <laughs> it's the weekend because you're used to it. And so it's like that shows how much of it is an emotional game. It really, really is. And so the, when people talk about fasting being hard, at the beginning when your body's adapting, there's a lot of physical difficulty when you're learning how to do it. But after that, once you're fat adapted, all the hard is mental. It's not hard. It's really not hard at all. And I just don't get hungry. I crave stuff. So when I get home, I always used to be a real sweet tooth. I love my chocolate. To me, honest, like if it's it's some sort of dessert or pudding that's not chocolatey, I'd be like, what's the point? There's no point in wasting the calories. Love chocolate. <laughs> Couldn't have chocolate in the house. It would just be gone. Now I'm such a savory and salty person. I get home from work and I don't know, again, it's because you've been fasting all day, just drinking water. I get home from work and I, I crave something salty. I crave some crackers or maybe some crisps or what you guys call chips. And that's what I, I'm craving when I get home. And I can have chocolate sitting in the cupboard now for days. Well, I've still got Christmas chocolate sat in the cupboard that I'm not bothered by at all. Maybe because it's vegan chocolate and vegan chocolate isn't great, but <laughs> <laughs> that might really be the reason. Someone gave me like a year ago, I was at a conference for health and wellness professionals and it was some kind of chocolate that also had vitamin D in it. And, you know, I tend to have lower... Well, I know, but it was like it was like a way of taking vitamin D, but also having chocolate at the same time. And it tastes just fine. And so I was like, oh, I'll, it was like a free sample of this box of it. I'm like, I'll take this home because I'm often vitamin D deficient during the winter, right? Not being out in the sun. It's still sitting in there. And I had like a few of it here and there, but I, I just saw it like the other day. I was looking for peanut butter and we didn't have any, but I saw that chocolate. and I'm like, oh, I forgot we had that. Amazing. And that wouldn't have been the case 10 years ago. 
Exactly. Yeah. I would have known exactly where it was. I would have been hiding it from everybody else in the family. I've been thinking about it. It would have been there in my mind the whole time. And I've never been as much of a sweets person, but still there were certain things. Reese's peanut butter cups. Do y'all have those? Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. Those were called my name. And it's funny. I just said I was looking for peanut butter. It was probably the peanut butter calling my name. <laughs> but, you know, it, it just really, it changes. We, like you, I crave something salty when I'm opening my window. Hummus is such a good thing to open with. Oh, definitely. Some bread sticks and crackers, something like that. Some carrot sticks if I'm really organized. Yeah, it does take some organization because <laughs> you got to eat those while they're fresh. So other than you're not eating as many sweets, have your tastes in food changed any other ways? Don't think so. Probably just you were already vegan before. Yeah. So I've been vegetarian since 13. So very young. And I was a turned vegan 2018. So already sort of pretty healthy in terms of lots of vegetables and things like that. But, you know, the chocolate on top and the, the chips on top and <laughs> all those things. So I think I've, I never would have been, as we talked earlier, but sort of nutrient deficient at all. It's the fact that I was just, you know, in portion sizes and things like pasta and probably just not having an off switch, so to speak. And that typical, your eyes being bigger than your belly. And if you want pasta, you have a huge bowl of pasta. And I was talking about this with some friends at work yesterday, actually, that idea that you finish our generation, you finish your plate, you finish everything on your plate, because there are starving children in Africa, which is what, I don't know, if, I don't know what American parents tell their children, but English parents tell their children, there are starving children in Africa, you better eat everything that's on your plate. And it, that's a really hard mindset to get out of. And I, again, I think those are the people, you know, those people who are naturally slim, and just like your husband, and those are the people who will leave half a potato on their plate. And I'm envy. I'm like, how can you leave and I know you've talked before about listening for the sigh, listening for the sigh when you're eating and that being you being done. And that's still a work in progress. But I'm getting much better at that idea of like, actually, you can leave two mouthfuls of food on your plate because that's fine. If it goes in the bin, it's fine. You're not wasting it any more than you would have wasted it putting it in your body. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Chad is so funny. He, like last night I made it, it was a Green Chef meal and it was like this fried rice kind of a meal, but I didn't fry the rice, but it, it was like, <laughs> you just made the rice and then it had, it was like edamame and carrots and I can't remember, just some di different vegetables, but also ground beef. And so I portioned it up. I always give him a little more than I give me. Just because like that, I will just eat it all. Whatever I put on my plate, I will eat it all because I'm not as good at saying I've had enough. 
I watched him eat it. And I, I partway through, he decided that was more ground beef than he wanted. I could just tell. So he like put all the ground beef on the side. He like nudged it over. And I was like, all right, he's had enough of the meat. But he just did it naturally. No big deal. It's just intuitive eating. And, you know, again, sort of in both your book and Jason's Fung's book, that idea of the, you know, listening to those hormones, those satiety hormones and, you know, that we ignored all through our childhoods and our teenagers. <laughs> so important to listen to those. Just funny to watch. And when you know what you're looking at, you know, when, when it's also like you and I, and we're not as good at saying stop now, even though like I can hear my appetite correction, but it's still on my plate. So I'm more likely to eat it, but he's not going to do that. He stops. He stops because he's listening to his body. Amazing. We'll get there one day. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, like it's the whole pleasure thing. And I'm like, I'm only eating this one meal and I have one bite left now. I'd like to finish it. It tastes really good. You want to keep eating it. So I've, I've come to terms with that. I don't eat to the point that I feel sick or like really overstuffed. That Christmas feeling, you know, that kind of Christmas meal when you're sitting there thinking, I can't move. And I didn't used to have that just, again, big bowls of pasta and those types of food that you think you really want. And then you just feel rubbish afterwards. Yeah, no, I never get to that point. But I, I might eat a couple of bites that I know I don't need just because they're there. But I, I don't want to ever feel like overly full sick. No, I don't want to feel like that. So you mentioned that you were not sporty. I love I love the word sporty. But do you do anything now? You said you weren't, but I've always swam. So even during my bigger days. Oh, that's pretty sporty. Yeah, it was yeah, I think it's one that my mum's a swimmer. I grew up swimming. We're just kind of a natural broad shouldered ladies in our family. I've always swam and always found it really easy and I can go years without swimming. So I've always swam. Even when I was big, I'd always swim. So that I can still keep that up. And then one of the things I didn't mention, my breaking my um plateau in the second one, so moment, but March twenty twenty one, I started running and I now run gin. I was always one of those people like, I've got big boobs, I'm quite big, I'm never going to run. I'm not a runner, I'm not a runner. I still would say that. I'm still not a runner. I'm a I'm a plodder. But I now run, I'm up to the furthest I've run now is seven and a half miles. I run three times a week sort of between four and five miles every time. That's amazing. I know. And I'm just so proud of myself. And I think one of the things that, and because I can now do that, I feel like I can do anything. So I been, went to a boxing class a couple of weeks ago and I, well, it was hard work. I survived the class. And some of it, I went down some of the things actually that I've, you know, I've been paddleboarding the last two summers, canoeing and kayaking zip wiring, all these things that, you know, three or four years ago, taking my kid and or taking my niece and nephew out to different, you know, to take them to the theme park, which I'm not going to go in the theme park because I'm going to be too big and I'm going to get what, that fear of the belt not going around you and all those sorts of things. And now I've just got a completely different attitude to life. That it's just like, let's just go for it. I have not done paddleboarding yet, but I see people doing it out in the ocean it looks fun. That moment where you go from kneeling to standing and your legs are like jelly, but you feel so powerful. Like you're standing there so strong. Don't get me wrong, I have fallen off. I need to do it somewhere safe. Like I'm not ready to do it in the ocean. And I'm a little like in the, the marshes around here, we've got gators. So we've got lots of rivers. So the county I live in is called Norfolk and it's very famous for broads, the Norfolk broads. So lots of rivers, lots of gentle rivers. So perfect. And lots of people around here own kayaks, own paddle boards. There's lots of sort of jumping off points that you can go to. So it's quite a popular hobby around here. Like kayaking I'll do because I'm not scared of the kayaking. I don't think a gator's going to get in the boat, but... <laughs> the gators, I think that's just a whole new level. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, it's wild. I get a bit scared if some swans come towards me. <laughs> uh, well, birds will get you. But we went to Huntington Beach State Park, which is a little bit south of us, a couple weeks ago. And they had this walkway and uh, by this freshwater pond kind of area. And it is just full of gators. And there's this overlook and you can look down and there's this giant gator in there. And I'm like, ah, and my son, Will, he's 23. He was working for a landscaping company this spring. He's not doing it anymore. He doesn't like the, the hot, but <laughs> he was working for them. They go down to Pauly's Island and I'd seen a gator. We'd been at Brook Green Gardens. There was a gator by a pond. He's like, oh, we see gators every single day down in Pauly's Island. We're doing, and I'm like, what? Stay away. Now I had another thing to worry about, like him getting <laughs> attacked by a gator. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't grow up with gators all around us. We don't have any animals in this uh, country. (laughs) (laughs) And they're really probably not going to bother you. But if if you have like a little animal with you, I think that's when you have to watch out. Like someone with a little dog, because they'll come after the dog. And sometimes you hear like in Hilton Head, someone. Anyway. There was some horrible video that went viral recently where the woman in Florida was walking her dog. I don't know if you saw it. And the gator just went flying across just... And it terrifies woman. me. So I'm scared. I don't know where I'm going to do some paddle boarding. Yes, yeah. I definitely <laughs> recommend it. It's just... I would like to. I think I would like it. I had, you know, when I was a dancer, I had very strong legs and good core strength. Yeah, I think. And they serve you well. Good balance. I think I could do it. Just, I don't know. All right. I got to figure it out. My friend Sherry, that my co-host for Life Lessons and the new podcast that's coming out soon. By the time you hear this, it'll already be out. But she likes to kayak. So we'll go kayaking when she comes to visit great yeah and it's just exploring new hobbies and new interests and just being out there and as I say the freedom that I've got from the weight loss from intermittent fasting is just beyond my imagination and it's those things I don't know if you felt the same the fact that there were things I didn't realize I was scared of I didn't realize I was scared to sit in a deck chair until suddenly I lost the weight and I didn't have to be scared to sit in a deck chair or eating in front of other people eating in public because you think, oh, they're just going to look at me and be like, oh, what a surprise, the fat girl's eating. And it's like, I don't have to, I can eat in public. People aren't going to point at me. And it's just all those fears and all that freedom. You don't realize how time, I'm sure lots of people do. I regret, why didn't I do it earlier? I lost my 30s to obesity. Why didn't I lose it earlier? But I'm grateful for having been obese because now I appreciate this so much more. Right. So look at look at it like that. We have the contrast to you know we never want to feel like that again. But what you were talking about, the judgment, I remember going to the grocery store when I was obese and feeling embarrassed about shopping. Like what I was putting in my cart. It felt embarrassing. And almost convincing yourself, like, did you just make up the story? Like, oh, if they ask, like, this chocolate is for a friend, for a present. I'm and... having a party. Right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like people to check out that none of their business, but still it felt like being judged. I totally understand that. So tell me some of your non-scale victories. I'm just looking at my notes because I did write a few things down. I guess it is. It's the confidence. It's the freedom. I guess it's the measurements. I'm really, I kick myself because I didn't start measuring until the June time, we're in June 2020. So a year, I didn't start measuring until a year in. And I think that's when I read your book and about the the honesty pants and the measuring. So that was amazing to do is the measuring. And I wish I had like, I had them all on little post-it notes and I cleared a drawer out the other day and I had like, I chucked them all away except from the first and last one. But I wish I'd had the very first ones from 2019. I mean, surprisingly, considering I was, I think I was sort of morbidly obese for the last 10 years and probably obese for another 10 years before that I had pretty good health 
despite that, I'm never ill. I've been teaching for nearly 20 years. I've never had a day off sick other than a week of COVID. But I've never had a day off sick. I went to a health check last year. We don't kind of have annual health checks in the UK because obviously it's free healthcare. You get what you're given, but they do sort of 40 plus health checks. I went last year and my cholesterol was absolutely fine, which is great because cholesterol is high in my family. My blood pressure was fine. So I've always had pretty good health, thankfully. So I haven't noticed any sort of, you know, I've never been on medications or anything like that. But for me, it's more about the confidence, the freedom, the being a little bit more fearless of life. And it's that that's been the big change for me. I love that. I mean, that is huge. You know, we are meant to go through life enjoying every day and and thinking back to those days when you leave the house conscious of your size, you walk through the day conscious of your size, and maybe no one else is judging you, but you're judging yourself. And that's the harshest judgment of all. Oh, this is a victory. Um, getting on a plane for the first time post weight loss. So I uh, went to Spain last May, it would have been, so last May. And the last few times I'd been on a play pre-COVID, you know, when the belt's getting a bit tight and you think, oh my goodness, next time I might have to ask for the extension. I mean, that's that's a rock bottom moment. But just being able to get it done up, getting it done up, got on a plane for the first time, what would have been, I guess, three years last May. And there, I took a picture, Jin, because there was like that much belt left over. So much, and I think I, I think I actually did take a picture and send it to my mum. I was like, "Look how much space I've got on my belt!" And it's just silly things like that. The you know the fear of getting on a plane, the the fear of sitting next to somebody on a on a bus or a coach or a train, and wow, just yeah, life changing in every in every way. I love that. Is there anything you struggle with? No, I don't think so now. Maybe if there's some sort of family occasion or you know a meal out. And it goes late. I'm watching the clock thinking, oh, it's nine o'clock. And that means that I'm not going to be out to eat until whatever time or family brunches. And again, it's just it's not even hard. It's just me. I don't want to be socially awkward. I don't want to be the person sitting there going, oh, I'm fine with my black coffee, <laughs> which I have done. And it's fine. But if it's like a big family occasion you know, an Easter brunch, for example. But I've learned, actually, I've started to really enjoy brunch because I probably went two or three years without eating breakfast. And now I've realised if I just miss dinner or have my dinner have my dinner at three o'clock in the afternoon, for example, I can then go out for brunch at 10 o'clock the next morning at the weekend. Switch around that window. And actually, I find yeah. it much easier. I think it's probably harder in the holidays. So when I'm at school, not a problem. But when we get to the school holidays, it's harder to not eat lunch when I'm at home or if I'm out and about. So I quite often during the holidays, the way I've got around this is I tend to have my window sort of 12 till four during the school holidays. So I can maybe have lunch. If we go out for, you know, afternoon treat or something or a picnic, it just, and then I just miss dinner. And actually I'm not that bothered about missing dinner. It's far easier to keep busy during dinner time than it is you know, going out for a meal, for example. So I love the way you make it fit your situation. And it's not always the same. And you found different strategies for different times of the year. And that's important to know. It, it doesn't have to look the same. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? Or what do you wish you knew when you first started? It's really important to find drinks you like. So for me, it's fizzy water. I think you guys call it soda water. Fizzy water. I have a soda stream. Uh, it's what I take to school. It's what I love I'm it. On. I've got my Topo Chico in the yeah, glass bottle We don't have that right over here. here, but same thing. So fizzy water, it's what I get through all the day. And then I discovered this tea. It's called white tea, but it's not tea with milk. It's called white tea. It's like a more mild version of green tea. 
And to me, it just tastes like normal tea with milk. And I just have that in a flask all day at work. I take it everywhere with me. If I'm out at the weekend, if I'm going for a walk, I've got my trusty flask of tea. And that's just what gets me through the days. And even, you know, after dinner, I'll have a cup of tea. And as I say, it it's, doesn't have milk or anything. It's completely fine. Clean, fast, friendly. Yeah, that phrase white tea, I remember being very confusing back in the Facebook group days because someone from Australia said, can we have white tea? And I'm like, well, here's the question. Do you mean white tea as in tea with milk in it? Or do you mean white tea as in white tea, black tea, green tea? Because <laughs> that is okay and the other one is not. And I've got yeah. so many people. I think I read it somewhere because I think it's supposed to be a fat burner. <laughs> I don't know why I buy into these things anymore. I don't need to. But I've put so many people onto the white tea. Loads of us at work are drinking it now. So, yeah, finding the drinks that work for you, that can keep you going all day. I've made myself like black coffee. And if I get bored of the tea or as they sitting at lunchtime, I'll have a black coffee just to pep me up. I think and just not being scared of hunger. It's okay to be hungry. And as I say, to adjust things. So if you're finding it really hard to miss lunch, have lunch and miss your dinner. And do it and just do it gradually as well. Like when I've said to people like I fast twenty two hours and I've been doing the twenty two hour fast probably for a good couple of years now, people are like, Oh my goodness, I couldn't do that. What? And it's like, yeah, but I didn't start this way. I went sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and then to twenty, and you just adjust. And you just do uh, this is just what works for me now. And it's the reason it's 22 hours is because that's when I get home from work. And that's when I'm like, oh, brilliant. I can have a snack now. So, yeah, those would be my top tips. Fun drink you like and don't be scared of hunger. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so very much, Emma. It has been great to talk to you today. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Jen. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.